0: Let's take What a catch! My goodness me, Jess Johnson. Never look at the smile. <laughs> Fingergles
1: have excellent over so far from the Andra Dutton. You're
2: listening to Ladies Who Legs Hello and welcome to another episode of Ladies Who Legs Been. I'm Brittany Carter and sitting beside me, as always, is the wonderful Mary Kay. Good morning, Mary. Wonderful.
0: (laughs) How lovely of you to say, Britt. Best start to a show ever. I'm
2: really good. How are you going? Great. I'm fantastic. That's good. So what happened in cricket yesterday, Mary? It was a bit crazy, wasn't it?
0: I think there was a full moon last night, Britt, because we saw three of some of the craziest results we've seen in the big bash so far. I know we'll talk about the men later and the Heat versus the Renegades, but that final over was just bananas. It took me about (laughs) 10 minutes to sit down afterwards, compose myself and work out what happened. I still don't think I exactly know what happened, but I think we can work through it together later. And then yesterday, there were four games in the Women's Big Bash, all which had an impact on who's going to play finals And the games today are still going to have an impact. We don't know who's going to be number one and two yet.
2: (laughs) Exactly right. So at the moment, we know the Scorchers and the Sixers both have a final spot, but they don't know where they're going to finish in that top four. So they don't know who they're going to play or if they're going to be advantaged or disadvantaged in terms of a home game. And I think what's really
0: interesting is that we had games yesterday and obviously the Hurricanes lost. But if they had won both those matches and the Scorchers and Sixers had lost both those matches, the Hurricanes could have even finished on top as well. <laughs> so it's still very, very close. So we know who we'll know that the Sixers and the Scorchers will make the top four. The other thing we know is that unfortunately the Thunder, the Strikers, and the Renegades will not be playing finals this year. You notice that I paused a little bit on <laughs> the Thunder and Still in mourning, but that's okay. Always next year.
2: (laughs) Yeah, no good for both our men and women's teams this time. No good
0: at all. Not
2: defending champions. Yeah, it's a bit sad. All right, so let's get into those games. Yesterday, the first one I want to talk about is the Thunder up against the Scorchers. Now, Perth moved to the top of the ladder with a 4-1 win over the Thunder. They needed 71 from 39 balls at one stage, but they were already down 4 for 79. I think we were texting at this point, and I sort of said to you, they won't make it. Taylor, Haynes, Blackwell, Stalenberg, all gone at this point. We're not going to make it. And I got a follow-up text from you saying, maybe we spoke <laughs> too on. soon. Maybe
0: we spoke too soon because <laughs> we definitely spoke before Harmon prate Corps came off and fired. So she started off slowly and got six runs off her first 13 balls, but then she ended up scoring 64 runs from 37 balls with a strike rate of 17297 but I think this ties really nicely into that point we made earlier in the season when we were talking about why she wasn't batting higher in the She's order. She's still making that case, isn't she? She's still making that case. So, Brute, who knows whether the Thunder season would have been slightly different had it they decided to play her up higher in the order, but I guess we'll never know.
2: There's also that big controversy about India uh, taking their players out of the game and taking them away for a, a training camp for mm-hmm. the World Cup early. So even if they had made the finals on the back of her efforts, there's no guarantee she would have been there to play, which is another really interesting talking point, I think. Let's talk about the Scorchers, though. So Piper Cleary did an absolute job on them. Three for 16 she took. She dismissed Haynes, Blackwell and Stellenberg all the firing power at the top and middle of the order. And she really did a job on us, didn't she?
0: She did. And Britt, it's interesting because I think what I love so much about the Big Bash and the women's Big Bash is new stars emerging. Mm-hmm. And this is a player we talk We talk about haven't... this all the time, don't we? This is a player we haven't spoken about at all this season. Yes. I don't even think I've heard her name mentioned. So it was great to see her shine so beautifully yesterday and in very good form ahead of the Scorchers playing the finals.
2: I think you're right because, I mean, when I was writing my notes up, I was thinking, Piper Cleary, like I know she was uh, selected to play in the Governor Generals this year, but I do not really know much about her. And when I looked up Apple Crick Info, there was Western Australian women's, I think there was under-19s representation there. She's actually got quite a good resume uh, already. So I think that was something that was very illustrative of this competition, that we are seeing so many young guns pop up. Something that was interesting that I wanted to mention about Perth, though, was that they posted five for 149, and we saw a change in their opening partnership. Bolton was moved up to start with Elise Villani instead of Susie Bates, and we know that that opening partnership has been successful in the past. They featured twice in the top five run partnerships of this competition leading up to yesterday. But credit to Bolton and Volani, they forged their way into the top five partnerships and are now sitting third with a total of 97. So Bolton almost went the whole innings. She went in the 13th over, and Elise Villani, they, the Thunder couldn't get rid of her until the 17th over. She was incredible, wasn't she? Yeah, she was absolutely
0: incredible, and I think it speaks to the strength of the Scorchers batting lineup. But now that we're getting towards the end of the season, though, there was one other player that I just wanted to mention out of the Scorchers. Yeah. And that's Heather Graham because I think she's been a player that has really improved this WBBL season. So she's batted in the middle order and I think has really been fundamental for the Scorchers in guiding them home in tight run chases. So she's their third leading run scorer. But I think you need to watch her to know the impact because often she's scored big when the Scorchers have needed her the most. And she's really a true all-rounder in that she's also managed eight wickets in the competition to this point. So it's been good to see her shine as well.
2: One of the other matchups we saw yesterday was the Brisbane Heat against the Strikers. Now, the Heat took this huge win with nine wickets over them, but we sort of expected that, didn't we? I think we
0: did. And what's interesting about this is that the Heat are still very much in the finals race and they need to win both their matches to be guaranteed a final spot. So it's going to come down to today, Britt, for the Heat.
2: I I agree completely with you there. I think the biggest thing for the Heat now is they need to prove that they can win matches back-to-back and it needs to be done today because otherwise they miss out on that spot, don't they?
0: They absolutely do. And that's what we've spoken about with the Heat this year and that they can win one but not win the backup. So it's a really big day for them.
2: Uh, interestingly enough for them, after Smriti Mandana was ruled out for the rest of the season with a knee injury, Giandra Dodden has been able to come back for them. So that's good news in terms of internationals. Yesterday, Beth Mooney and Kirby Short moved into the top second partnership uh, with the run stand that they made of 101 before the first wicket fell. So Mooney, man, she can really put them away, <laughs> can't she? She made 75 and she's just such a powerful hitter at the top, isn't she? She's beautiful to watch. She's been absolutely
0: outstanding this season and is just phenomenal with bat in hand. So the strikers, their mm. season was
2: done uh, heading into this these matches and they really had nothing to lose. Although we saw Sophie Devine go for another dart.
0: I know, and I felt so sorry for her. I'd just like to clarify for our, all our listeners when Brittany made me predict my top four, I actually think <laughs> she thought she wanted me to go backwards. So <laughs> I picked the strikers to win. They actually ended up finishing last. So I've just <laughs> predicted it backwards, Britt.
2: Don't worry, my predictions were the strikers or hurricanes will win. And so the hurricanes are still in it, but the strikers down the bottom. Yeah, so
0: unfortunately. I think it's been a real a real shame for them this season because Tammy Beaumont really hasn't found her feet. Yeah, Sophie Devine was outstanding at the beginning of the season and has dropped off a little bit, Yeah, but it shouldn't be her responsibility no. to lead an entire team.
2: Yeah, I think what was important from yesterday's game that Tammy Beaumont did actually make mm. a good score. She made 50 and Amanda Wellington made 46, but everyone else didn't perform. And I think that's sort of reflective of their season in a way.
0: Absolutely, and it'll be interesting to see what they do next year and how they change things up, if any at all.
2: Now let's talk about the Hurricanes and Stars match. How insane.
0: (sighs) (laughs) This was the first full moon moment that happened (laughs) yesterday. I think we need to talk about the final two balls of that game. So... I felt so sorry for Amy Satterthwaite. I felt so, so sorry. Who had a really
2: good game before the last over. And actually a really good start to that
0: over as well. It wasn't even the whole over that was a disaster. But it got to a point where the Stars needed six off the last ball and then poor Amy bowled a no ball that was hit for four. Now, I don't know whether you all know this, but when a no ball is bowled, the field is not allowed to change for the last ball. So that really impacted. It's a free hit. Yeah, it's a free hit and the fielders can't change. So on that final ball, Jess Cameron hit it for six and the Stars ended up winning the game. I love Jess Cameron though, so that was great, but I felt for the Hurricanes. I really felt for them.
2: Something that was great, it was nice to see that Jess Cameron's really enjoying her cricket again. Mm -hmm. She has been outstanding this season, very consistent for the Stars. And after having a break last year from cricket and um, missing out on the first season of the Women's Big Bash when she was supposed to play for the Perth Scorchers, I think it's been beautiful to see her come back and, and perform in such a way and you can definitely tell she's loving the game. Absolutely, and
0: we spoke to Jess much earlier in the season when the AFL women's competition was announced because as we all know she'll be playing there too and she spoke about how she just needed a break and was now ready to play cricket and was really enjoying herself again and I think that's really clear from the way she's played this season.
2: So the Hurricanes, the best for them was Satiswaite, Amy Satiswaite, who made 39, took two wickets for 23 runs that's just, so that, she had a great game. Yeah. It's just that shame in the last over, mm. didn't she? Um, but Statathwaite actually has the best average in their team by a mile. She's averaged 56.8 runs this season. And it shows that the Hurricanes, much like the Thunder, are a team mostly made up of all-rounders, doesn't it? Absolutely. It sure does.
0: And Amy was also a standout actually earlier in the week as well in their six-wicket win over the Thunder. So she got two wickets from three overs and then took a hat trick in the 19th over, and that's the first hat trick that we've seen in the WBBL this year. She's been
2: absolutely outstanding. So I
0: really hope that she picks herself up because the Hobart Hurricanes are very much in finals contention. Yes, completely. And I've still
2: tipped them to take out the competition. Exactly.
0: So Amy, pick (laughs) yourself up. Which is bold, I know. It's bold. Pick yourself up, Amy and we're looking forward to seeing you play today and I'm looking forward to seeing what the Hurricanes do in the final couple of matches. Yeah,
2: Australia are really going to have to think about Satisfate when they come into the Rose Bowl series that's happening in February Um, and I think she's going to absolutely keep that form going. The other person that I wanted to mention from the Hurricanes was Heather Knight who made 45. So it was nice to see the captain perform as well. The last game that happened yesterday that we really need to address was the Sydney Sixers up against the Melbourne Renegades out at North Sydney, where it all began, bringing it back there. Only,
0: what, six weeks ago? I know. It's been a massive two months, Brett. (laughs) Far out.
2: I feel like it's just flown, but it was very steamy out there. It had been raining in Sydney leading up to the match. Thank God Duckworth Lewis did not come into play because it just rags everything. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But tell me about the Sixers, Mary, and tell me about Ash Gardner. She is phenomenal, Brett. Like
0: is. we speak about her every single week, and I know I mentioned Heather Graham earlier, but Ash Gardner has been the standout player of the series this year. And this is my hot take: if the Southern Stars were to be picked right now, I think she absolutely has to be
2: selected. I don't think you're the only person that would be saying that. No, let's credit so. you as the first. Yeah. Let's do that. <laughs> But I completely agree with that. She has absolutely uh, made a case for her selection into that side, hasn't she? Absolutely. And we mentioned
0: that she's only 19. She's still got so much growing to do, but she has been an absolute class act this entire summer.
2: So she made 50 um, and there were five sixes in that 50 from two fours. And uh, Sarah McGlashan was the other person who did a The brunt of the work for the Sixers. So she made 45, just fell short of a a half ton. But it was remarkable, honestly, that innings. The other person that I really needed to mention from that game was Maitland Brown for the Renegades. Now, the Renegades are out of finals contention, but she was an absolute star. If you remember one name from this podcast, I want you to remember Maitland Brown because she was just incredible. I just can't even put into words right now how fantastic she was. What do you think of her, Mary?
0: Brett, I think it makes me slightly sad talking about the Renegades because they won't be playing finals, but I think they've really improved in the back half of this season and with players like Maitland Brown, Sophie Molino, who has been outstanding, it's just a shame not to see them playing and they had a really good win over the heat earlier this week as well. So they beat them by seven wickets. And, you know, Rachel Priest hit six fours and another magic six in her 39-ball innings of 44. Molly Strano was great. Chris Britt took a great one-handed catch. I'm just disappointed they're not playing finals because it seems that they've hit their straps just a bit too late.
2: Yeah, completely. And, I mean, Rachel Priest was good yesterday. So was Chris Britt. And Maitland Brown, I should probably explain to you why I'm raving about her. So she made 30 runs from 15 balls. But the most impressive of that for me was... In the 19th over, Sarah Alley, who is, we've talked about before, a very, very underrated and fantastic New South Wales bowler, very consistent, very accurate. She's bowling to Brown, who's 20 years old. And to bring up the match for the Renegades, she hit four, four, six. And these are back to back. Like that is incredible to be that young and to show that class. She also took a wicket earlier in the sixes innings. And yeah, I, I really think that she is going to be a future star for Australia. Maybe even a Southern star? I think so. (laughs) That's where I was getting at. I think so. The thing that the Sixers are now going to be worried about is that Elise Perry actually limped off with a bit of a hamstring injury. So she swung at a ball and completely miscalculated what was happening, slipped over in her crease. She was stumped as a result and sort of gingerly got up and, as I said, limped off. So she was rested and did not bat or bowl And she's really key for the Sixers. I know they've got some great players, but they will be sweating on her fitness. They absolutely will be. I think
0: what's good for the Sixers is that we've seen how well-rounded they are. So if Elise doesn't play, other people will just – they'll need to step up and Mm -hmm. there'll be no room for error.
2: Completely. The way that they've set up the fixtures of this competition means that everyone that played yesterday – get to play each other all again today. So any of the mistakes they made, they might have a clean slate to to fix those. So the Thunder are up against the Scorchers again at Lilac Hill in Perth. The Strikers play the Heat at Brisbane at the Gabba. Hurricanes and Stars are at Belle Oval again. And the Sixers and Renegades are at North Sydney. Mary, what what are you predicting is going to happen?
0: Well, Britt, I was actually going to ask you if you could predict who's going to be in the final. I'll give you my two and then you can give me your two. (laughs) All right, you go first. Okay, so I think it's going to be the Hurricanes and the Sixers
2: that is who I was going to yeah, pick. Right.
0: Yeah, right. No. <laughs> yeah. Hurricanes and Sixers is my hot take for the final.
2: I think it's going to be tough. I think it's going to be the Sixers and Hobart, only because I keep tipping Hobart to win this competition. <laughs> Come on, Hobart, don't make me look like I'm an idiot. for the
0: Hurricanes. <laughs> I'd love to see them win. It would yeah. be great.
2: I just think they're the best. And we've spoken about this together. They're well, they the have. best all around team. They're very team focused. Sydney Sixers have got stars. And yes, they're they perform well. We know that they're a great team because they won seven on the trot before a loss against the Thunder and the Renegades. But I just think Hobart have that little bit of star glamour that they might be able to pull out in the dying moments. If
0: it's Hurricanes v6s, that is going to be a cracking match. Yeah. Like cracking. You've got yeah. Gardner. You've got Knight. You've got possibly Perry. You've got Healy. Yeah. Oh, Ali, You've got Redmayne, who is Brit's favourite player. Yeah. It's just <laughs> phenomenal. So that's our tip. Let's see what happens next weekend when we come in to record.
2: In saying that, I do think Perth, Perth do have a strong case today. And so do the, actually, so do the the stars. Let's be honest. We don't really know what's going to happen. And we know (laughs) that the Heat can beat anyone on their day. They don't have to play
0: the (laughs) final twice. So they could win too. Look, it could be anyone's game. But Um, look, let's see what happens. It's going to be a very exciting end to what's been a phenomenal competition.
2: All right, let's get on to the men's game. So, Mary, what have been your highlights from the Big Bash this week? I don't want to talk about the men. (laughs) I'm I'm with you there. I'm with you there. I'm a salty
0: Sydney Thunder (laughs) fan. I was really disappointed to see them lose this week. But, Britt, I think the the issue that I really wanted to talk about this week was that Cricket Australia's integrity unit is looking into an exchange between Mark Howard and strikers captain Brad Hodge. So for those of you who missed that game... That was between the Strikers and the Thunder. And Network 10 statistician Laurie Colliver told viewers that batsman Shane Watson had been dismissed twice in the past eight balls he had faced from seamer Ben Lachlan. That information was then passed on to Brad Hodge while he was mic'd up and then brought Lachlan into the attack in the next over. So basically the exchange went like this. Our master statistician Laurie Colliver tells us Lachlan has got Watson twice in the last eight balls he's bowled him in this competition. So that was Mark Howard. Brad Hodge goes, really? And Howard said, I'll leave that with you, Skipper. Now, in a game that has been criticized in the past for match fixing, I just thought that this was completely inappropriate. And we know that the Big Bash is about fun and enjoyment and entertainment, and I love having the players mic'd up. But it's certainly not to be passing on statistical or strategic information from the box, and I thought Mark Howard was completely out of line.
2: I have to say, as a viewer, and this might be controversial, but as a viewer, that was really entertaining for me. So I, I, not, I don't agree with it. Don't take me. Don't get so. Me hearing wrong there. the exchange between them. Like... Yeah, just the fact that that happened and. I understand that the Big Bash is supposed to be all about entertainment. So for me, sitting there watching, I went, oh, that's really cool. And now they're going to bring him on. Like, imagine if this happens. But looking back at it and actually listening to KP sort of call Howard you know, mm, very naughty. Very naughty. Very naughty. <laughs> it's, it's not right.
0: I think as well what really flips it is that the Thunder had no advantage. Like, they were given no information during the game that could have helped them to win. So yeah. the strikers definitely had an advantage, I think, in getting that information and what would have been really interesting.
2: Is if he had taken that wicket. Who knows what right. would have happened. Yeah. The thing is, though, I mean, your captain should be wary of these things mm. before they come into the game. You know, they've got to do their own research Absolutely. as well. So I, I think you're right. I don't think it should have been passed on. And, yeah, hopefully it sort of just fixes that.
0: Well, I don't really know what the solution is. Yeah. I mean, do we reprimand I was just going to say, like, maybe like,
2: it just... Maybe it fixes it for future, you know, they know not to do it in the future. Perhaps,
0: and I think that they should be counting their lucky stars that there wasn't a wicket there because I just don't know what would have happened, particularly with the Thunder... Uh needing to have won that game to mm-hmm. have made the finals, what would have happened? Exactly. Anyway, let's talk about last night's game, please, <laughs> because that was absolutely bananas. It was a real tussle. I love it when you lose, use that ah, word. <laughs> bananas, but it was. like It was a real tussle and I think viewers were really confused as to who was going to win this game because we saw Finch and Harris make a 106-run partnership to start the Renegades off and Finch scored the fastest half-century in BBL history. But then the Heat came into bat and then Baz broke that record and he scored the fastest BBL half-century in 18 balls. So it looked like the Heat were going to do it easily. But then their run rate really slowed down and you saw the Renegades get back on top. And then we got to that final over. Let's talk this through ball by ball because I think that's the only way we're going to get it right. The Heat need 18 off the final over.
2: And the pressure is on, isn't it? The pressure is
0: definitely on and the pressure is on Nathan Remington who is bowling that last over. So what happens, Britt? What happens on the first ball? Wide. Then on the next ball, a six is hit. Joe Burns hits a wonderful six, yes. A wonderful six. Then what happens? Another six by Joe Burns. Then we've got an out. Joe Burns gets caught. Yeah,
2: he holds out. He's caught and then... The momentum definitely shifts because at this stage, we all thought Brisbane Heat was going to do it. Absolutely. Then what happened? Wide.
0: (laughs) Then in the next ball, Nick Buchanan gets run out. Yeah. So at that point, the Heat need three runs off two balls. What happens in the next ball, Britt? Another wide. And then Steckity's facing and a dot ball happens. Yeah,
2: he tried. He He tried.
0: tried. (laughs) He definitely tried. And then and He looked the
2: f- very uncomfortable at the crease. I yeah, have fair to say.
0: enough. Stex is a bowler. Like he's <laughs> not there to be winning in the in he the looks final like minor. Never,
2: he'd never faced a ball before. Oh
0: though. bless him. <laughs> he's been great in the bowling, by the way. I just wanted to mention that. And then the final ball, Brit. Another wide. Can you but believe it? But they ran. They <laughs> stupidly ran and Swepson got run out and everyone, Twitter just exploded. Basically, I had 15 tweets in a row that was what just happened. Yeah. So they ended up, the Renegades, winning by one run. hmm and yeah. they keep their finals hopes alive. I know.
2: It's a huge win, isn't it, yeah, considering it, it was win. so tight. And Remington, oh, my God, what a shocking over. I understand that he was trying to get them to play right in the offside, but Jesus, that was really, really yeah, bad didn't, over.
0: it didn't really work for them. No, eat.
2: and I would not bring him on to bowl the desk. One again.
0: Never again. Maybe we should talk to our <laughs> mate Nathan Bracken about that strategy. <laughs> but uh yeah, that's the big bash. There are a couple of really exciting games coming up. Yeah. Hurricanes have... and scorches tonight as well as the Stars and Sixes. And talking about the Stars and Sixes, a couple of weeks ago we had Alyssa Healy on the podcast and she would have been talking about batting for change. It's really important tonight that the sixes hit a lot of Sixes, and if anyone wants to make a pledge to batting for change, just head to their website.
2: So the thing that's really exciting now is that we are in the business end of this, aren't we? Mm-hmm, so the definitely. Big Bash and the Women's Big Bash both have all the finals next week. We see the semifinals played and then the final played.
0: And I love this week. I can't wait. So next Saturday, I think Brett is going to be an epic show because we'll have had all our finals and we'll be previewing both the men's final and the women's final on our show next week.
2: And the other thing that's really exciting is I don't have to worry about watching two games at once, one on my laptop and one on my desktop. No, works. Right. <laughs> because there is only one each day, so I can actually watch each women's Big Bash game and each men's Big Bash game, which I'm super excited about.
0: Looking forward to next week already, Britt. Now, Britt, we've also got a very special treat for listeners this week. We had Sam from The Grade Cricketer join us for an interview earlier in this week, which you'll be treated to next. The roles are going to be reversed a little (laughs) bit, though, because this was recorded on Wednesday and I couldn't get to the studio, so I was dialing in over the phone. We hope you enjoy it.
2: (laughs) Now, Mary described our next guest as cricketing royalty two episodes ago, but I'm going to go with the king of the cricket podcasting world. Hello, Sam Perry.
3: That's, a, that's an outrageous introduction. <laughs> it's completely unfair, but I'll take it. Uh, <laughs> lovely to be here.
2: Sam is one third of the grade cricketer brand, three funny guys whose podcast tries to find humor in the constant struggle of life as a grade cricketer. Is that how you describe it, Sam?
3: Oh, uh, Again, I'm I'm also uncomfortable with being called a funny guy, but um, I, I appreciate it. I, I, no pressure now at all. But I think you're right. Yeah, you you pick up on the um the main thrust of it, which is it is really more about the struggle than anything. It's a very kind of it's a game that lends itself to a lot of existentialism and soul searching grade cricket. So we've just tried to lend a bit of a voice to that.
2: Well, maybe you're the most humble of the three of you. <laughs>
3: You keep trying to lure me into these uh, arrogant <laughs> comments. You keep trying, I'll eventually get there. Yeah.
2: <laughs> now, The Grey Cricketer all began with a book, right? So how did that come about?
3: Um, well, there was a, like, I guess it's one of those things where it's like 10 years hard work overnight, success a little bit. Like we had the Twitter account for a couple of years before that. Um, it all started years ago when I had just finished playing grade cricket and and I decided to retire and I think I just wanted to write something kind of expressing a little bit of the – or just a kind of parody like the – The strangeness of the whole dynamic, and it was just, just for a blog, like like for a blog for a mate Dave, who ended up coming on anyway. It's um, it got shared around a fair bit, and I got a lot of encouragement, and and people wrote in uh, to me and stuff out of nowhere. So I decided to start this Twitter account uh, just as a bit of fun. And fast forward a few years later, Dave and Ian joined, and uh, I think we just got bored of tweeting in 140 (laughs) characters, really. Like, how many jokes can you do? Yeah. (laughs) So we we pitched a book, or we sort of we wrote a few chapters pitched it out to about 15 places. One publisher got back to us and said they'd give us a shot, and, uh, and we went from there. It's been great fun.
1: Now, Sam, the next question is a very, very serious one. I want to know when we get our signed copy of the book.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I think um, everyone expects us to just be uh, like, just to have reams of books uh, like in our house and stuff to give away. But the publisher you know only gave us four, <laughs> which I think I had to give a couple to my mum. But uh, no, no worries. I'll just go to the I'll just go to the publisher and uh, and and say let's have let's have some more, please.
2: I don't think we expected it. to yes, be like definitely. <laughs> Yeah,
3: definitely. Yeah. They uh, I don't uh, think they are. Uh, so they sold. Uh, they sold that many, so there should be a few free ones lying around.
2: Oh look, we'll buy one as long as you sign it for us. <laughs> um, so now it's become a weekly podcast, hasn't it? And is it the highlight of your week? Uh,
3: yeah. Oh, absolutely. Like it's it's pretty.
2: I mean, inc- you travel all the way up from Melbourne every Wednesday to record. Shh,
3: don't say that. Yeah. So <laughs> someone at Fox said to me last week, "I can't believe you fly to Sydney to do a radio show." And I said, "Oh, thanks, thanks very much." Um, it is. It's still very strange to think that this satirical fake character on Twitter from years ago uh, has a podcast now where, like, we've been really grateful and humbled to have the sort of caliber of guests that we've had on the show. So And, and a lot of the guys that we have on – and I should be clear that there are too many guys on the show um, – <laughs> are really keen to come on. So, I mean, for example, tonight, Matt Renshaw is coming onto our oh, show. Right. Or as you maybe as this comes out, uh, it will be in the past. But um, stuff like that does make it quite exciting. So, look, to be honest, it is the highlight of the week, even though I'm a 31-year-old guy <laughs> talking about cricket. <laughs>
2: Um, now the real reason we actually wanted to get you on this show is to teach you a little bit about women's cricket Because right. having been on your show, I think it's it's pretty clear that you don't have the best, most extensive knowledge of nope. it What would you probably rate your, your knowledge of women's cricket out of ten?
3: One, not good enough One, not right enough. Well that's Absolutely. fantastic
2: because <laughs> mm. we'd like to offer you a book we've written
3: Yes Yes and it's I'm a gonna book give, exchange. I'm going
2: to give it to you right now. It's called Women's Cricket for Dummies.
3: Right. Well, here so. I am. I've got it. <laughs> Looking at it, it already looks far more uh, extensive than our book. And it actually looks serious, too. Oh, so. uh,
2: yeah. I'm sure it's just as a professional and it's publishing A4 is Word the, document the format.
3: This is exactly what I need, seriously. <laughs>
2: And the other thing we've done is we've signed it for you in case we become famous one day. Very good. (laughs) I can see it now as well. Yeah, disclaimer, that might not actually be Mary's signature because it was a last minute. Yeah, Brett, what are you talking about? (laughs) (laughs) I haven't signed anything.
3: I like it. You're forging signatures already. You're giving Uh, fake books over. This sounds just like great cricket.
2: (laughs) All right, so let's go through this. We're going to take it in turns to tell you one sort of point about women's cricket. The first one we'd like to point out is that the women's game prides itself on technique.
3: Love it. Yeah. Very good. So how, how so?
2: Well, don't expect to see the crash and bash of the men's game, although we can make the boundaries and clear the boundaries, but we just place a lot more emphasis on our technique and how we go about the game.
3: Good to see. I think the men's game's gone too far the other way. I'm, I'm very old school in that respect anyway, so I'm interested. Okay. Mm.
2: So number two,
1: Sydney women's first grade is one of the strongest comps in the world. Now, Sam, this is only something that I really started learning about this year. But our first grade competition is one of the strongest in the world and that's why the New South Wales Breakers have won the Women's National Cricket League 18 of the 21 years it's been played.
3: I, lo- I love that because we're in Sydney at the moment. I'm from Sydney originally, but I live in Melbourne at the moment and Melburnians and Victorians and all, people from all those states would hate to hear that.
2: Of course. Uh, the Sydney centricity <laughs> rankles
3: them more than anything else and it's the same in the men's game it as is, well. Sydney yes. grade cricket prides itself. They call it, well, Ed Cowan calls it Sydney test cricket ah. because once you go through that, you can then uh, go on and play for the test side unlike others. So that's good to hear the alignment is, uh, is there in the women's game too.
2: It's very strong.
1: Whenever my mates in Queensland bring up State of Origin, I tend to bring up the WNCL because (laughs) New South Wales has just been so dominant in that competition.
3: (laughs) What do they say back to that, mind you? Do they they sort of go, okay, no, touche?
1: Yeah, not really, actually. They're like, what are you talking about? (laughs) But then I go on and on and tell them about my favourite players and they're like, okay, Mary, we believe you. On to something different now, please. Yeah,
3: I I don't think anything exists outside State of Origin for a lot of Queenslanders at the moment.
2: Yeah, I I would agree (laughs) with that statement. So number three, the shortest form of the game is the fastest growing.
3: Okay, well, I mean, that's, again, straight alignment as well. And mm-hmm. this is like, the, the WBBL is the area that I feel like I need to get across most. Mm-hmm. I listened to your show, I think it was last week, you had mm-hmm. Holly Furling on. Yep. And Holly was saying that her first three balls in men's grade cricket were a hat trick. At the age which, of 14. Which is absolutely outstanding. Yes. And another thing I've got about the short form of the game, firstly, it's a gripe. So my last name being Perry, every time I want to Google myself, Elise <laughs> Perry just comes up all the time. <laughs> so I'm kind of sick of seeing how uh, prolific she is because I yeah. just want to sort of look at myself. But the second thing is... Elise actually played at the club that I played at or plays still at the club that I played at in Sydney, which is the Tigers. And she played a men's under-21s game there as well a few years ago and absolutely dominated. I think she ended up with figures in one match that was better than anything I ever achieved for that side as well. So (laughs) um, all short format female stuff seems to be um, quite impressive whenever I come across it.
2: Well, you'll be happy to know that on the cover of your Women's Dummy uh, Guide to Women's Cricket, you've got Alex Blackwell there. So you've already got another player you can put under your belt.
3: Right on, right on. Because I've got to get better than it just being about Elise Perry and Meg Lanning, right? right. There's there's a lot of other players, but I, I think they're the two that I've sort of I've got under my belt at the moment. I'm going to need to expand,
2: right?
1: So number four is the cricket season very much becomes a social calendar. Is that the same as in the men's game?
3: Well, I, I think Cam? so. I, I think cricket really is just a social game and the cricket is kind of played on the side, right? So Mm -hmm. uh, we we were talking to Brittany about this on our show last week or the week before. I'm I'm just keen to understand how the social side manifests itself. I'm sure that it's far more uh, moral than it is on the men's side. I mean, you you painted a picture, Brittany, of people who are actually nice to each other and (laughs) talk to each other uh, and don't try and undermine each other at every turn and lie to each other. So uh, I'm, I'm sure it's much more enjoyable than it is for the men.
2: Uh, was something that I've come across talking from uh, players that have played men and women's cricket, is that we actually wait to have our drinks after the game. Mm. So we'll head to the local pub and have a beer or a, a mixer, in my case, mm. <laughs> together after the game, rather than having the beers uh, in an esky on the sideline.
3: So are you also mocks for getting a drink other than beer because that's what happens in, in yes, men's cricket? Oh, you are. Okay, I am. That's nice to hear.
2: Yeah. Mm. I've got my cruisers. Oh, well, in saying that, on grand final day, that's like the one occasion we do have an esky next to the game. And I've usually got a cruiser in there and everyone else has got beers. So.
3: Mm. You just sound like healthy people who enjoy <laughs> drinks after you've finished what you're doing.
2: <laughs> Take it seriously. Mm. Number five, passion fuels our involvement. So you can understand because there's not been a lot of money in this in the past that we play it purely for passion.
3: I like that word purely as well. You know, I mean, this is the thing that I do on the, on the podcast and the boys don't really like it. Sometimes I get a little bit earnest yeah. uh, about it. But in also, when you say purely, that's really interesting to me because, as you say, it's sort of fueled by passion. But also you talk about technique as well. And I, like, I feel like I hear a lot of things that maybe sport or cricket used to be about. And now that there's almost so much money in the game, and I'm sure it's, a, it's an amount of money that everyone kind of wants to get their hands on naturally. But sometimes money can corrupt a little bit of what it really should be about. So it sounds like um, women's cricket is sort of in that sweet spot at the moment where people are actually doing it for the love of the game. Is is that fair?
2: Yeah, I'd I'd say that's completely right. And, I mean, one of the great things about the Women's Big Bash is there is that option there now, but it Mm. hasn't been there for a long time. And there's a lot of players in my side that I know have been playing 20-plus years. Mm. So you've got to have the passion there if you're going to keep playing for that Mm. long. That's good. Number six. We spend more time sledging our team than we
1: sledge the opposition. So in the men's, <laughs> while you guys might spend more of your time sledging the opposition, we spend more time making fun of players, our own players, when they drop a sitter, play a shocking shot or bowl a short delivery on the leg side.
3: I see. This, this is very good. Like Self-deprecation is really important, I think. like No wonder <laughs> sort of uh, women's life expectancy is longer. This, again, this kind of theme of people, just, uh, women as being healthier than men seems to be coming through. I think the secret third option... Which the sledging in men's cricket is that people, a lot of men sledge themselves a lot as yes. well. They just don't let it on. Yeah. Yeah.
2: <laughs> the other thing that I would probably add to that is that uh, our nicknames usually come out of a sledge. So there's always something, and I'm not sure if that's also in the men's game as well.
3: Yeah, well, it's one of those paradoxes, like the more you try and fight a nickname, the more it will stick. stick it's, right? like, it's like quicksand. So it is kind of similar in that sense. You should never fight a nickname uh, that you hate. You just got to let it rise and let it fall without saying anything.
2: Interesting. Mm.
1: Sam, are you a Seinfeld person? Because there's a great episode on that where George wants to be nicknamed T-Bone and instead they nickname him Coco and he fights the Coco nickname but then they all start banging their hands across the table. It's true with a nickname. You've just got to take it on board and hope that it goes away.
3: Exactly. And and I think, like, I'm a Seinfeld fan. I think cricket lends itself to those dynamics as well because you spend so much time doing nothing. You've got to get very kind of nuanced at the way you manage yourself socially. So I'm I'm glad to hear that uh, the rules about how to make a nickname stick apply uh, across both sexes?
2: Number seven is we treat warm-ups as extra curriculum, And I'd say that's often because uh, we rock up as the coin toss happens. Well,
3: I-, I think you'd be the envy of a lot of blokes there as well. Uh, <laughs> I-, I don't really have much more to add other than it sounds like utopia. <laughs>
2: So you don't you obviously rock up on time then.
3: Well, you're meant to. Like people, like you get sometimes you get these really militant captains that you know otherwise might struggle in their jobs during the week or whatever, and are generally failures otherwise. But they get really specific about making sure you're there on time. It's like their only chance at uh, exerting power in their life. So you know if you're one minute past nine o'clock at rocking up, for example, you know that's a fine immediately, and then you'll be chastised all day, uh, and you know maybe may forced to you know, let go of a lot of money that you've um, you've earned during the week. <laughs> on B for everybody.
1: Number eight, men and women's bats are pretty much the same. So women usually use cricket baits that are light in weight around 2.4 to 2.5 pounds, while men usually use ones that are 2.7 and upward. But most bat makers only tend to make a small number of lighter bats to sell, so they're basically the same.
3: That's really that's really interesting. I suppose if you just grow up with bats being a certain size, you'd get used to it. I mean, Mm -hmm. are are, are we calling for lighter bats to suit uh, women's cricket, or are we happy with them?
2: We've dealt with what we've been handed for a long time now, so Mm. it's it's just more the fact that you. um, I think we're trying to say. They're not as light as you'd expect. Mm-hmm. We're just using similar sort of ones to you guys.
3: Well, maybe we need to put a call out to Harry Solomon's at Kingsgrove and yeah. just say, Harry, let's 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 have bats that are more suited towards our uh, our women uh, friends.
2: Definitely, number nine is yes. Female boxes exist.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I feel like I'm so, I'm, I'm I'm walking a tightrope with that whole thing. So. <laughs> (laughs) I mean, that you know, you, Brittany, let's be honest, you asked me whether I had questions ahead of this show and that was not one of those questions. I just want to be really clear.
2: Yeah, Um, I just want to be really clear that these sort of came about because I was speaking to the girls in my club a lot and they assumed that these would be the things you wouldn't know.
3: So So you've got a point here. Can I just read this out? You want a point that says they are similar to a men's protector but are flat and would be harder to scull a beer out of, which we hear is rife in the men's game. I tell you what, I have actually never heard of a man sculling a beer oh, out of a box, but like, it wouldn't surprise me. That sounds like a, <laughs> what do you, what do you call it? it? sounds like hazing, you know, that they do in colleges and university. That's, yeah. uh, that's, that's shocking.
2: I'm glad to hear that we're breaking down stereotypes of the men and women's game yeah. in this show today. Very
3: good. This is darker than the great cricketer stuff. Sculling <laughs> beers out of female boxes. Okay. Very good. <laughs>
2: So, the last one on our list for number 10 is while women barely wear whites anymore, we're just relieved we don't have to wear collots.
3: Yeah, you've just showed me some <laughs> photos of these, Brittany, as well, and I can see exactly where you're coming from. But then there's a small part of me that looks like there's a lot of freedom there as well. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, who am I to judge the, um, the, the clothes that you guys just have got? Just imagine trying to
2: get your body behind the ball, though, with your knees exposed. It's not even. Oh. <laughs>
3: My worst nightmare, really. Yeah, some
2: for yeah. there. So I'm going to teach you a little bit of history here. Yes. Although the dreaded skirts of that era did lead to English women, Christina Wiles introducing overarm bowling to the game. Also, the story goes, apparently she was bowling to her brother John, a Kent cricketer, and unable to bowl underarm because of the voluminous skirts uh, that were popular at the time. So she raised her arm higher than usual, and thus it went from there.
3: That's great. I'm learning so much. I mean, you just really, like, you've taken me from one of the sort of darkest ideas of what happens in the dressing room to, like, this great piece of history about how overarm bowling was invented. Yeah. I'm impressed.
2: All right. Now, we understand you've got some questions for us, Sam.
3: I certainly do. I feel more comfortable doing this in the show. I'm not used to being <laughs> the guest. Uh, yeah. So. I've, I've, I've brought three questions, okay, and they're, they're sort of – one of them is related to the technical aspect of the game that you mentioned before. A couple are a little bit more social, which interests me okay. uh, more than the technical stuff. But I'll start with the technical stuff. So I do hear a lot, and you said it at the top of the show, that we, the women's game is very technique-focused as opposed to the men's, which is a little bit more kind of power-focused. Mm-hmm. I want to know how the women's game does vary tactically from the men's given that the power disparity is, uh, is so huge.
1: I think, Sam, the answer to that question is basically because we can't hit those dramatic sixes as far as the men can. We've really got to think tactically when we're playing our cricket. So I always think of batters like Meg Lanning and Charlotte Edwards who are very, very technically sound batters, and that's why most women last longer playing at an international level as well.
2: And I think in terms of tactics, they don't really change. You'd expect them to, but they don't. I mean, batters get runs, bowlers get wickets. So we still set our fields for each batter. You know, if we know someone's going to drive, we'll set it up that way and we'll try and bolt them and to try and get them out, obviously, as soon as we can. Mm. So I don't think that those tactics actually change. We just rely on them heavily.
3: Yep. That's cool. Uh, And I think you'd probably have to draw upon what's been learnt from cricket over the last kind of 100, 150 years rather than the game at the moment, which is just completely changing because bats are massive for men, fields are really small. And uh, a lot of the nuance and subtlety of the game, I think, goes you know out – or sort of leaves the game when that happens.
2: Yeah, of course, mm. and the game changes, doesn't it? Mm.
3: All right, so on to my second one, me in the interview box now. Okay, <laughs> this, this harks back to my time playing grade cricket. So I haven't played for a couple of years, uh, if that's not obvious. When I played, the integration between the women's side and the men's side was poor, I mm-hmm. thought, mm-hmm. Um, to the point where uh, the, the men – I shouldn't stereotype about all of them, but there was an attitude of superiority about their relationship to the club versus the women's. What I want to know now is um, how well integrated women's grades club, women's grade clubs are with the men's grade club.
1: That's actually a great question, Sam, and one that I'm also very interested to know the answer to. I don't play cricket, so I think Britt is definitely in the best position to answer this one for you.
2: So it's hard to speak about other clubs in regards to integration between men's and women's. Um, But behind the scenes, there is some collaboration in regards to grounds availability, training facilities, and our affiliates, uh, men, sometimes help out with our grants and stuff like that. But other than that, it's still quite minimal at this stage. Mm,
3: Okay. So what I'm hearing is club presidents step up, (laughs) who are usually blokes, by the (laughs) way. Club presidents have got to step up.
2: Yeah. it's, It's hard for us because we're two combined clubs. Um, but in terms of you know, there's a lot of other clubs like Gordon who do have a, a men affiliated club with theirs, and I agree with what you've just said too. Mm,
3: very good. Well, I, like, I like we're doing some politicising here as well. This is quite good. You can't really do that on the grey cricket. Everyone just wants jokes about dressing rooms and beers. I like it. Can, can I ask a follow up? This, yeah. is, this is my last one. So yeah. j- this is on the same kind of rhythm as what I was saying before. What are the big? I want when I thought about these questions for you guys, I thought, how can how can I be better when it comes to women's cricket? How can men be better when it comes to women's cricket? So rather than a really broad one like that, I I just want to ask, what are the biggest faux pas men make when talking about or discussing women's cricket?
1: Sam, I think the big one for me is just that assumption that because women sometimes aren't as powerful when hitting those big shots, that women's cricket isn't good to watch. Mm. And I always come back to what one of our friends, Lucy Zelich, has said countless times on our show, in that if you love a particular sport whether it be cricket football or rugby league you'll love it no matter who's playing whether it be men women or kids so that for me is the one that i always like to stand up on
2: i think another big one is uh we often get young um hooligans driving past our games yelling out get back to the kitchen and stuff Mm -hmm. like that which most of us laugh at in jest but sort of getting rid of those jokes it would be good and also at the end of the day, it is the same game. Our rules aren't actually that different. They are a bit different when it comes to under-17s Brewer Shield and to third grade, and we do use a smaller ball, but that's it. At the end of the day, um, our boundaries are sometimes brought in, which we don't actually need them to be. Uh, that's just a side note, but, mm. yeah, it is actually the same game, and I agree completely with what Mary said. If you love cricket, you will love the women's form of the game. I think the biggest thing that you, um, we could teach men about women's cricket is watch first, then criticise. Mm. Because quite often you'd come into it, you know, with something in the back of your head already, an idea already formed, I'd say.
3: That's a really great line from Lucy, by the way, because it kind of challenges people who um, may think that they're above women's cricket or women's sport, for example, to test their own love for the sport itself rather mm-hmm. than everything around it. So I'll, I'll definitely remember that one. That's good.
2: Well, Sam, thank you so much for coming in today. We appreciate you squeezing us into your very tight schedule.
3: No, it's com- it's completely my pleasure I think you guys do like a, a wonderful job and and clearly are doing much more for your sport in a positive sense than what we're doing the great cricketer, which is really um bringing cricket down so um, so uh, wishing you guys all the best and really appreciate you are uh, you having me on
2: I disagree with that, but where can we find your podcast if our listeners haven't listened to you before?
3: Yes oh, well if you are uh you know not that upset with Steve Jobs and Apple and stuff, it is on iTunes, so you can subscribe to it there. It's also on a platform called Wooshka if you just want to. Our listeners play. will
2: be familiar with that.
3: Yeah, and just, you know, our, our Twitter account, The Grade Cricketer, it's at Grade Cricketer, is there as well if you want to read dark musings on cricket. Uh, that's where we are. And uh, you should be able to find the podcast. Here. There's a Facebook page. Uh, yeah, I think that you should be able to find it.
2: It's very funny, so give it a follow. This is... All right. All right. It's time for Around the Grounds. What have we got in the inbox
0: this week, Mary? So what I love is that this week, Australia's future stars were in the spotlight when Cricket Australia's under-15 female national championships started. So the best junior talent from around Australia is going to feature across eight sides, and a country and metro team are going to be entered for the first time in the comp's history. So each team is going to play each other once over the course of the competition, and there'll be a finals day next Tuesday, which is really exciting.
2: Something else that was really exciting is that Cricket Australia and the Australian Cricketers Association have partnered together to bring us to new Female Cricketers Awards for the Allen Border Medal Night, which happens every year and is happening next week. The Betty Wilson Young Player of the Year and the Domestic Player of the Year Award are going to be awarded, as well as the Belinda Clark Award that's already been in place for 16 years, which recognises Australia's leading female international player. So I'm excited to see all of the recipients of those.
0: And it's great to see these two new awards being announced because we know how how strong women's cricket is across the board and particularly the New South Wales Breakers this year. So it's really good that one of those women that play in that competition will be recognised later next week. And the final thing that I wanted to mention this week was the death of Rachel Heho Flint. Now, she used to be an England cricket captain and it sort of made me reflect on how she'd be feeling about all the developments we've seen in women's cricket over the last couple of years So this woman was an absolute pioneer. At test level, she represented England 22 times, scored 1,594 runs, and also hit the first six in women's test cricket. She was the first woman inducted into the ICC Cricket Hall of Fame and became one of the MCC's first female members. So
2: She was phenomenal. She actually campaigned and went to the streets herself to get women playing on lords for the very first time. And women at that stage weren't actually allowed to sit in the stands and even watch. So to have them in the nets warming up and then play at Lord's, that was phenomenal and a really, really big effort from her. It was great to see so many of the players come out and acknowledge how important she was to cricket's history on Twitter and their social media outlets.
0: Absolutely. And I don't think her contribution can ever be underestimated. And while we've still got a really long way to go when it comes to women's sport, we must never forget where we started and how far we've already come. That's very, very true.
2: All right, well, we're in the final stages, aren't we, of this show and also the competition, and we've already spoken about how excited we are for next week.
0: We absolutely are so excited, Britt, and the show next week's going to be a cracker as we preview the men's and the women's finals. As per usual, we love your reviews. So please (laughs) jump onto iTunes and leave us one. It really makes a massive difference. We've also got a subscription email newsletter now. So if you head to ladieswholeague.com. Just in
2: case you're not sick of us already. (laughs) Yeah, you
0: can subscribe and you'll get every episode delivered straight into your inbox. And please vote for us in the Castaway Podcast Awards. We've still got another six weeks of voting to go, but we're running fourth in the popular vote category. And I think we can still get there.
2: Last thing, if you'd like a good laugh, Carlos Braithwaite actually picked up the video of me dabbing at the SCG <laughs> last week in something we did as a joke for this show, but has now been plastered over his Instagram with a whole heap of other 10 year olds <laughs> dabbing too. So if you'd like to see me win a Trident sports bat, you can go and like the photo or if you just want to laugh. Go for and it. Mainly for the laugh, <laughs> I'm actually. happy to be the butt of the <laughs> joke, really. Thanks so much for listening. As always, we look forward to talking with you next week. Do you want to say goodbye, Mary?
0: You've been listening to Ladies Who Legs Spin. in the air. And it's taken. What a catch. My goodness me. Jess Johnson never looked at a
1: smile. goes have excellent over so far from the Andra Dutton.
2: listening to uh, ladies who like